Welcome to episode 732 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 732 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? Well, you know, on top of the world. Top of the world. Top Not of the quite. world. Halfway on top of the world. Halfway up the hill you are. Halfway. Halfway up the hill. Halfway up the hill. Okay, guys. What, is, what, what have we got on, Jobbo? Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Some of our fantastic patrons. I'm going to go Andy Big Mac McMillan. Alan the Iron Palm... Kupta's Chan. That's a good last name too. Shane Trinsetter Reeves. Okay, John, this week's show we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got an interview, a really good interview actually. We've already done it. Who is it with? We're talking to Andy Blow from Precision Hydration, talking sort of sodium intake, cramping, sweating, and so on. Uh, Coach's Corner, Winger of the Week, and questions and answers at the end. Okay, well, John, it's an exciting weekend if you like a bit of triathlon because we have the Super League. And it sounds like, I read the article, John, John sent through an article which shows the behind the scenes of the Super League, just with what's happening with the logistics and the tech behind the arena games. Pretty hard work for them. Yes, so um, we've discussed what they're doing over the last few weeks. It's going to be the triple mix format, which means they swim, bike, run, have a break, swim, bike, run, have a break. I'm, I'm not sure if they're doing it three times through or, or, or exactly how they're going to go from swim to bike. Um and in theory, going, this sounds like a brilliant idea, relatively easy. You know, we're all just doing it on Zwift and so on. But I think as it started to unravel, they've gone, holy crap, this is going to take a lot of coordination, especially in the current environment that we're in. So um, one thing that they had in this article that we got sent over is... Making uh, fear. Did you do the bat, the bat making Zwift fear, I thought was really interesting. Right, I didn't pick up on that part, but I think they're all on the same trainers. So yeah, but they said they had to really work hard to make sure it could be, you know, because it can be gamified normally. But they said yes, even then they still had to make it fair, and it was, there were some challenges around that. Yeah, one thing that they, they pointed out there is if a couple of the athletes, Gomez and and somebody else, was uh, going to be racing in the French Grand Prix race, so there is some racing in France uh, on the Saturday, and then the, this this race is going to be on the Sunday. And I thought, I wonder how far away that is? Seven hundred kilometres they're going to have to drive on Saturday and then race on Sunday so if you're a betting person they're not driving are they they're going on a bus yeah, yeah. They, they, they 700 kilometres on a bus from one race to the next yeah yeah yep. Um, so and, and just lots of things in terms of the broadcast why, why potential why well, you, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't at the moment, and, and it's a small place. There's probably not direct flights. You'd, you'd end up travelling for How more. How long is that going to take you? It's going to take you eight, nine hours. Yeah, but they'll have a big fancy bus where you can probably lie down and have a little snooze and stuff. So they'll, oh, they'll be okay. Look at that. They'll, they'll be well pampered. Oh, uh, nice. But a whole lot of logistical challenges they face with regards to the production. So the race is happening in Rotterdam. I think the production's uh, then happening maybe in London or Singapore, and then they're still going to have Macca and uh, the other fella commentating that are going to be on Australia. So I think this has got uh, the potential to be a right royal balls up. Uh, I, just having seen lots of the other coverage online that's happened during lockdown, it hasn't 
been top notch some of it yep. and, the, and talk, the, the commentators if they're not in the same room talking over the top of each other and, and breakdowns and things like that so I think the potential of this is huge and when we come out of this COVID world I think this is going to be amazing uh, What well, you think there's a potential to make this a long term thing? Oh absolutely okay. it sounds like they're doing it in an arena where there's like a capacity for about 400 people to be watching um, but they're only going to have 100 in there just through social distancing yep. so I think this time around it's, it's a time where they can test the water something is going to go wrong on the technology front yeah. it's got to somebody I don't know something there's with the candle freeze or the trainer will cock up or something will go wrong but I think you've got to start somewhere and I think this is going to be really cool the caliber of the athletes is racing is really good it's not the top 10 athletes in the world but we've got some of the best athletes racing and one thing that I um, noticed they're not actually running on you know standard treadmills they're running on the um, oh, the ones that they use in CrossFit yeah, where they, you, you self, kind of... Self, yeah, the ones that almost self, look like a little you. Yeah. Yeah. So have you run on those? No, but apparently that takes some getting used oh, to. horrible to run on. Yeah. I haven't done a huge amount of it, but at the gym in Auckland, we don't have them at our gym, but at our gym in Auckland, they had them and I jumped on it and it's just a different kind of running because mm. it almost meets your foot a little bit higher. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was... I, again, I've probably only spent like half an hour on one, but... I'd much rather just run on a treadmill. Mm. So so, one of the gyms in Auckland... But, but then, you, then you're in control, aren't you? When, you? when you're on a standard treadmill, then you've got to press the buttons, go speed up, speed down, whereas on these ones, you're running and you're totally in control. The feeling's obviously a bit yeah, different. Yeah, and, I, and I, I do understand it's probably a bit fairer. So there's, when the, in Auckland, they've got this class, which is kind of like an F45 uh, called maybe Conquer, and it's a, basically, it's a, oh no, it's boxing, strength, treadmill so you do like mm-hmm. a block of about 10 minutes of boxing a block or no it works out it'd be about 90 seconds of each move and you just go from one to the next it's like a circuit but the treadmills I had there were the best treadmills I've ever ran in my life really? oh they're unbelievable and they had like a almost like a um like a terrain underneath it like it wasn't yeah. flat mm-hmm. so when you land on it, it felt really good and you could just belted out yeah but it, you know treadmill's always a bit funny mm-hmm. just, oh anyway so anyway, I think, I think the potential for this is great. It's going to be on Sunday, European time. Uh, they'll be broadcasting it uh, online, I assume, as well as on uh, on TV networks around the world. So, yep. so do check it out. It's going to be good times. It's, also, it's just something exciting for us. Yeah, the, like I, I know initially when the, the Swift Racing sort of started up online, I was sort of talking about it each week and it's... I kind of watched it a bit. You're watching a computer screen and it's interesting because you're interested in the result, but the actual... Sp- spectacle of the race is is not that interesting the, the, the five times I've watched it you just fast forward to the end yeah you whereas, I mean? whereas this one you'll be able to watch the computer generation uh, so you can see where the athletes are um, but then you'll be able to see the athletes when when you just get those grainy little Skype connections uh, they're pretty rubbish really oh. whereas they're all going to be in the same place it should be high definition TV um, should be wicked there's also going to be some other ITU racing coming up uh, Hamburg apparently is going ahead at this stage on September the 5th it's only going to be a pro race only uh, and then apparently it may be held outside the city Hamburg is normally held downtown really cool massive massive crowds uh, and then also got the inside word that there's also a World Cup race uh, which is the one tier below the World Triathlon Series it's going to be held in Karlovi Kala uh, and they've got a stellar field there so what sometimes happens here though when you see start list this far out is at an ITU level you can sub athletes in and out so what you do you enter all your top athletes to get guaranteed starts and then you can sub your weaker athletes in yep. so whilst at this stage the field looks absolutely like a world championship sort of level field almost uh, it may change a bit but pros they are going to be 
just chomping at the bit to get out there and race and we've seen the amazing run times by some of the athletes so it could be fireworks or it could be business as usual question for you John and this is totally off topic George Bennett this is mm-hmm. totally a Kiwi subject mm-hmm. he's done really well in some races recently mm-hmm. is, is he that good? yeah he's, re- he's really good but like Tour? He's not going to win the Tour de France or anything. Um, what, so, what so George Bennett, uh, he's more of a domestique. He's a tiny little hill climber. Oh my climber. God, he's, there's nothing on him. Yeah. Um, his knees are bigger than his quads. And so for all the non-Kiwis out there, he won uh, a monument race the other day. So I'm, I'm sure it was a monument event. So in cycling, you have uh, monuments. No, I think he was second in the monument, but he won another race days before it. Uh, I could be no, wrong. I think you're wrong. Okay. Um, but I'm not 100%. I haven't checked out which race a monument. You know, it's a bit like Grand Slams or majors. Yep. There's, there's, there's more, like in tennis, there's only what, five majors. In, in cycling, there's there's quite a few more, but there's the real pinnacle ones. And the one that he won, uh, granted the field was a bit weaker because a lot of the other athletes were off racing the Criterium de Dauphiné. Um, so it's still, it was an awesome performance. And he got first, and then the next race he got second. Um, and the reason he does that, and we never see his name elsewhere, is because normally he's just a, a leader and has to sit with his team, and he was given free range free reign uh, to just go and uh, try go for the win and he uh, spanked it oh, good stuff got well beaten in the second one but still second was pretty good okay uh, we had over the weekend we had another Ironman virtual race John's actually put the link up to the, the video on YouTube or on Facebook I should say it's actually looks, I didn't realise Ruby was so cool yeah and they this weekend it's like uh, in a city no, they raced in Tap um, Topol last weekend. Is it? Uh, I'm sure they raced on Topol last weekend. Uh, so I've got to say that these names they're pulling out at the moment, uh, people I've never heard of before, and I said that the last couple of weeks. So the winner of the males race was Lucas Voigt from Germany. Swim time for 500 meters, 516. That's giving it some. That's like for, you know a 103 per 100 meters. That is giving it some, John. That's pretty damn fast. And he spanked them across the board. He he uh, then went and biked a 51.46, which was four minutes, no three minutes quicker than uh, Clay Clay Emch, who was in second place. And then he ran an 8.46. So across the board stellar domination winning a sprint race by four minutes or just under four minutes uh, so he's in the P-Wag team never heard of his name before and so I sort of just thought I'll check out Lucas Voigt's uh, resume and yeah he's, he's had a few reasonable races finished fourth at uh, the Ironman Italy last year in 8.08 uh, and then most of his other races usually sort of in that Third, fourth, sixth position. Uh, did win Ironman seventy point three Luxembourg uh, in last year in three forty nine oh five. So yeah, a name I haven't heard before. Uh, but he went out there. He beat Bas Dieterin and a bunch of other guys there in Luxembourg last year. So pretty impressive. On the second place was Clay Emsch, uh and third was Dirk de Corva. And then on the female side, equally. Uh, I was only familiar with one of the females, uh, Laura Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Um, the winner, though, was Lenny Ramsey. Uh, she is Dutch heritage, but she resides in the States, and she is a bit of a smart cookie. But her times, she swam a 7.54, uh, she rode 57.38, and then ran a 10.57. Pretty close racing, only 20 seconds in it, uh, with Laura Zimmerman finishing in second place. Um, and when I look at Lenny, Ramsey's uh, results 
she uh, had a fifth in Cozumel last year, third in Ironman Chattanooga. Uh, she got a third in Lanzarote. Um, so yeah, peppered with lots of fourths, fifths, and sixths at different sort of Ironmans or seventy point three races around the world. Um, but her. Uh, as well as being an athlete, uh, I'm pretty sure she's a neuroscientist, Bevan. Oh, wow. Um, Lenny Ramsey is a Dutch neuroscientist and professional triathlete living in Houston, Texas, USA. She earned a PhD in cognitive neuroscience from Washington University in St. Louis, or St. Louis, and started her career at Carroll University as assistant professor in the physical therapy department. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. She's uh, academically achieving and also spanking it on the online gaming okay John so while you've been talking I've just been watching the coverage A I haven't watched any of this coverage of this racing and it's bloody well done have yep. you watched any of it yeah I, I, I don't watch it I sometimes have a quick scan through because um, <clears throat> it's so well done but uh, so the athletes don't actually know what's happened in the run and the bike before they do the bike swim um, in the bike swim in the run no, I think they do. When they start the bike, they'll, they don't they'll know, know the deficits. No, but they oh, they do, do they? Yeah, I'm pretty positive they do because they do that during the week. Yeah, but they're watching it right now and they look like they're quite interested in seeing who's going to win the run. Right. So I, I kind of hope they don't because I like the idea that they don't, you know, you go out and give your best bike, you find you've watched the swim, you know what you're behind or ahead of in the swim mm-hmm. and then you've got to watch the run. Um, but interestingly, if you go on Facebook, they get the views are 286,000 views. Really? Yeah. Now, Facebook gives you a view for three seconds. Yeah. So that doesn't mean people have watched it for long, but that's a pretty decent viewership. Mm. You know, only 17 shares. But, yeah, um, but you know, it's still pretty cool. But it's it's actually as a package. I again, I wouldn't be surprised if the athletes don't know because if you're watching them in this video, they look quite interested in watching the run. Um, but maybe it's not the case. But yeah, I think they've done a pretty good job. Uh, on the age group side of things, Nick Cosman was back in action, spanking everybody by four minutes in the um, men's race ahead of Carlo Tenori and Yuri. Dorofev from Russia was in third and 142. So our, our, our Filipino friend didn't get in this week. Um, good to see Steve Doinus, Doinadis, uh, and there, one of our patrons down in sixth place. Okay, you can put out a couple of numbers, John. I'm still going to watch well, this and see if I'll, uh, I'll pull out the, the female winners. First place um, was an Argentinian, and I think she was right up there the week before or the week before last as well. Penelia Johanna from Argentina. She won by about a minute in front of Sarah Donath uh, in second, and Jerry. Geraldine Van Fintel was third in 158. So Pamela's times uh, across the distances were, she started up with a 12.09 for the first 3K run, uh, then rode a 104, and then ran a 39.46. And she's in a 25 to 29 age group. So nice work. Okay, John, I'm not quite sure. You can't really figure it out by watching it. Okay, John, uh, this time last year, we had lots of Ironman racing here. We had Sweden, we had Copenhagen, we had Mountain Blanc. It was a big weekend of racing. Okay, you do, you do Sweden, I'll do Copenhagen. Okay, so in Sweden, uh, we had Boris Stein take it out. He swam for 49, rode a 4.03, crushing field. 4.03? 4.03. The next, most of the guys are riding sort of 4.14 to 4.17. Uh, there was a 4.09 in there, but man, absolutely spanked them on the bike and then produced a nice steady 2.53 to win by two minutes over Denny Chevron, uh, who was, he won the Ironman Virtual 
Reality race last week, and then Matthias Pedersen was in third place. Okay. And there, there was a male, I'm not ignoring the females, that was a male pro only race. Well, then in Copenhagen, we had the female only race on the same weekend, and Anne Haig showed that she's. Anne Haug. Anne Haug, sorry, Haug, uh, showed she's a pretty talented athlete, having the fifth fastest iron distance race of all time. She came in in a 51 swim, a 437 bike, and then a 257 run. That's a complete performance, isn't it? Pretty sure that was her. Was that her first Ironman? Oh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, whatever way you look at it, it was smoking fast. So no, I think total she, time no, of eight thirty-one. Yeah, yeah. I think she did kind of the year before. Um, but the, I remember watching the, her finish that race, and she'd hardly broke a sweat. She was like finished, and she well, was just chatting away. We talk about complete performance. Fifty-one. Mm. That's smoking. Mm-hmm. Four thirty-seven, and then a sub-three run. Yep. And then goes on wins Kona later in the year. That's it's a group. Oh. Camille Peterson, Peterson uh, got an 8.49. And then Maya Sage Nelson got a 9.02 for third place. Um, and then we also had, and I watched uh, the tail end of this race last year, it was a brilliant performance by Cody Beals at Mont Tremblant. Uh, he just ran Lionel Sanders into the ground. Uh, he swam a 50, rode a 4.20, and then ran a 2.42 for a 7.58.34 for a course record. Um, his bike time, I think, was a course record as well, but Lionel Sanders went even quicker, so Sanders has the, the course record there. But that was a, a... I know Lionel Sanders finished, and he was disappointed he hadn't won, but he thought he had a pretty reasonable race. He just said Cody Beals was just yeah. on another level that day. It was just I was beaten by a better man, eh? Yeah, yeah. so Lionel Sanders still did struggle on the run to a degree. Only ran a 2.53. Um, he can be quicker than that. Uh, and then Nathan Killen was in third place. On the female side, um, one of my favourites, Carrie Lester, swam 51, biked a 4.48, ran a 3.03 for another complete performance with a 8.48, winning by 16 minutes minutes over Sarah True and this was when Sarah True was coming back having had multiple failures uh, the collapse in Frankfurt um, the failure to finish in Cairns and she had to do this race just to try to clip her ticket to get to Kona and she did that um, but not a not a dominating performance uh, and Jodie Robertson in third place so Carrie Lester uh, again a course record and 8.48 on a course that is uh, not flat by any stretch of the imagination uh, course record and just crushing it Okay, John, last week's discussion was what do you wear now that you'd say you'd never wear? For example, put his hand up with the compression socks. Kylie Cox, Kylie Hot Chick Socks, uh, Cox, Socks Cox. Uh, pretty happy to say that I've stuck to my guns, keeping oh, it classy. Whatever. Whatever. Turn it up, Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> right, you had another one, I'm just, I'm just pulling it up. Uh, Nemo Branch, uh, Helen Branch, uh, sports skirt for running. I thought they were a silly idea when I first saw them, but now they are my go-to choice for running bottoms in warm temperature. Nice. I think there's been a couple of comments on, on the, those. The squats, what were they called? They called them, is it squats? Squirt? Squats, isn't it? Well, I know Felicity, the one she wears, the school's kind of like that. It's called a squat. Yeah. But I don't know. There's probably some branding around that. They were a big that. thing at the gym for a while, but girls don't wear them at the gym anymore. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Here we go, David and- Roberts. Run, short runs, short shorts for running. Yeah, Andy uh, Ashton, Nike Vaporflies, next percent. Um, when they first came out, I said they looked hideous. Now I have two pairs and would never look at wearing anything else. 
That's good. Lucy Francis got um, plus one for compression socks. I used to think they were a gimmick until I hurt my calf and then saw the value of wearing them for injury recovery and future prevention. I'm a triathlete with compression sleeves on all the time. Uh, Graham McCullum uh, says calf guards, so similar to compression socks. I gave my mates a hard time when they wore theirs, then calf injury. Having said that, one of my friends wore a single calf guard saying it looked less stupid. Not sure about that. Craig Cooper's got the hookers. No jokes, I would never do that. <laughs> but people love the hookers, don't they? They do, yeah, but they... it's it's a, it's a sign you've, you've aged. Yeah, well, usually... I might be getting some hookers soon then. Yeah, yeah it means you're old. Yeah. Uh, Mick Simpson says, Lycra outside with people watching would have been ridiculous to the person I was six years ago. And then again, that person was five stone heavier. Uh, edit, I just want to reiterate that Lycra inside with people watching or alone wasn't part of my day-to-day life either. Got a Rob Dallymore's got flat peeped caps. Now I've got to be honest, I'm with Rob on this. And then yeah. someone's Aaron McLeod. Oh, I'm gonna say uh, diced bales. Um, he's put a vanilla ice, doing ice ice baby with the flat cap. I have to admit, when they first came out, I was like, when I was younger, you rounded your cap. Yeah, you rounded the front of the cap. And then I do have a flat cap now, John. I'm not a cap wearer, but. Yeah, I still think flat caps look a little bit silly, but each to their own. Well, John, it's you showing your age. Exactly. <laughs> Any others for you, Newsom? No, I think that was the ones that I had. But in terms of things that uh, that I've changed my tune on, yeah, one is uh, the compression socks. I still think they look pretty silly. Um, well, I actually think they look cool. Um, but I've just recently got some new SLS socks, and uh, and I do wear them because I think they do make a difference. Uh, so that's certainly one thing that I have. Uh, fluoro gear. Never thought I'd be wearing fluoro gear on the bike. No, you, you come every weekend, you hear fluoro. I know. So uh, you guys will have seen me, so if you're on social media, see me wearing the I Am Talk fluoro gear, which I absolutely love now. Uh, a, it's safe <laughs> and you get seen. But I think the thing was, back when I probably thought, oh, I'm never wearing fluoro gear, it was pretty gross. Uh, but these days it's actually made to, to look oh, fairly, fairly good. Yep. Uh, the other things I had, tri-suits. Back when I started, the people that wore tri-suits looked like Idiots. And now it is almost the opposite. Oh, or is that just because you wear them, you don't think they look... Maybe other people think, you look like an idiot now. Yes, possibly. <laughs> but back then, uh, to be fair, they were quite baggy. And so they were sort uh, of baggy tri-suits. The thing about a tri-suit is, you got to be pretty fit. Yeah. you got to, you got to, you can't have too many pies at night. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to wear a tri-suit, it's showing it all. Uh, I had in here also, I bet there's a few male listeners who said they'd never shave their legs, but they've eventually crossed over to the dark Not side. Not me, John. Look at the Not hairs yet. on those legs. Yeah. And then the only other one I had that I said I probably wouldn't be doing much of, and a lot of us fall into this category, was is riding inside much uh, in terms of doing wind trainer sessions. But obviously that's a big change with the technology we have. But if I re, you know, rewound life, 20 years or so and you said John you'll be riding inside a couple of times a week I'd be going nah it's not happening yeah, but, you but it is a bit you, you wouldn't now. have seen the future mm. you didn't have that, that dimension about you John <laughs> for me what was it to be honest cycle shorts mm. you know like I remember when I first started teaching at the gym you know like you know, I had to get with cycle shorts and like I was standing in front of people with cycle shorts on mm. uh, so the, the, the diddle factor was always a bit of a you know <laughs> the self-awareness around the diddle factor uh, but once you get into them you get used to them uh, I never really had problems wearing anything no not really oh I think when I first wore what are they, what are they like a bib Bibs. yeah when I yeah. first wore a bib that was a bit odd but then mm. I loved it because I felt like I was a professional wrestler 
Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did wonder why I came around to your place and you'd just be wandering <laughs> around in bib shorts. I come around, drop the elbow on you. <laughs> do a DDT. That's right. <laughs> It's <laughs> because it was. You do look like a bit. Admittedly, I'm a skinny runt, but I did like. Yeah, I did like the bib shorts for that. You know, you put them on, you feel like yeah. What you gonna do? Listen, <laughs> the Hulk or the Macho yeah, Man? Macho, macho, macho Man, man Randy Savage comes for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. So that is uh, the the bad attire of our time. So this week's discussion is: uh, Will you watch the Super League this weekend? And if so, who do you think will be the top three males and females? So we're interested to see what happens here. Three, hit hit me with some music, oh, music, Bevan. Here we go. Coaches Corner. Talking about swim cords. Part one of part two, of two parts. Oh, it's a two-part series. It's a two-part series. I still haven't got to part two of my Olympic uh, no, rundown. I week. I was going to, but then I thought, we've got enough content today. Oh, yeah? uh, so, swim cords. I've come back into vogue a little bit of late because of lockdowns around the world, but I suspect a lot of people perhaps A, don't know what to do with them, and they bought them, and they're probably sitting there collecting dust. So swim cords, what are they? Um, they're not the same as uh, just your sort of stretch cords. You know, for, for people who go to Les Mills or if you just bought like a, a stretch cord with handles on the end, they're not the, the same as those. Uh, the difference is the, the, the cord itself is quite a bit longer um, and it's got a different sort of elasticity to it um, depending on what sort of level of resistance you've got. So some of them come with paddles, some of them come with handles, but essentially long cords, um, they have a hook on the end of them or, or a band that you can attach to, to a hook somewhere and you're going to go go away and do some you know, simulated swimming. It's not the when same. When you say a band, is it like a grip or is it like a... So um, you've got a, a lengthy band, hook on one end and then the two bits that you hold on to have either got like a plastic um, little circular handle you can hold on to. Okay. Or they have paddles that are sort of attached okay. on there. Um, I myself have got the, the version with the paddles and I do prefer them. Um, but I'll come into, if you don't have the paddles, what you need to be focused on uh, l- l- later on. Um, so what they're used for, um, there's quite a few reasons why you might use them. Firstly, uh, for strength, to, to particularly your lats. I, was, I did a swim cords workout yesterday and then jumped in the pool today and certainly could feel my lats. And the reason why uh, that happened is it's a lot more easy, easier to sort of engage your catch and watch what you're doing and when you do that you really start to give your lats a, it's a good workout so strength is one reason um, secondly and this is more so if you haven't if your pool's still shut and you haven't got access to any swimming at all it's obviously a, a nice upper body workout you can do um, to give you a bit more variety um, with regards to technique uh, it's really quite good with regards to your catch as I said and that's about getting that early vertical forearm so a, a, a vast majority of people when they swim their hand enters the water and then they're just going to pull str- down with a straight arm or they may even drop their elbow so with the swim cords what you can do is you can really practice that movement of trying to keep your elbow up and pull your hand and your forearm down which is kind of called a, an early vertical forearm and when you do that then you're going to be able to catch a lot more water and it's, so it's going to help you propel yourself forward a lot quicker um, and as I said it's a nice substitute for swimming when you can't swim when you when you are you lying down? What are you no, doing? No. Yeah, are you you're bending over? Yeah, you're bending over. Um, Is it hard on your lower back? No, not really. But that good good questions, and they're going to come up on okay. how to use your swim okay. cords and key pointers. What uh, are they used for then, John? 
<laughs> so Ben was just saying, it's a really good point, and this is my point number one, you want to have them hooked up fairly high, and by high I mean at least at your sort of head height or, or above. Um, so I've got a hook in my garage that's probably... I don't know, maybe about two meters up, or yep. maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, so it's it's up nice and high. So then you can pivot over, uh, and you can have a nice straight back. My fear is that a lot of people get these swim cords, and then they might go and put them around like a, a leg of a really heavy um, table, yep. or put them out on a, a rail outside, something like that. Um, and then you really are going to have to. You're still going to get a strength exercise, but you're probably going to have to pivot over so far that it's going to put a big load on your back. So yeah, that's tip number one, is have them up nice and high, then you can pivot at your waist, keep a nice flat back, and then you want to be in that position so your hands are out in front, and then it's like you are in a pool and you're, you're mimicking what you're doing uh, in the pool. Um, there's different resistance levels, at least with the, the, the brand that I purchase. I've got a, a red, which is the fourth out of five hardest level yeah. and it's a little bit too much which is another reason why I had sore lats yesterday but you, uh, could, you could go and close it couldn't you you can but then you can't then you can't keep the tension on the okay. band the whole time yeah. um, so if you are looking to purchase these uh, I would suggest you go for the middle uh, like three number three or number two uh, in terms of the elasticity of the cord just to make it a little bit easier then you can do some reps uh, for a slightly longer duration um, now you don't need to do this stuff for very long, and I think if you did try to do really long sessions, A, it would be boring as hell, uh, and B, uh, you're probably going to just overload your shoulders a little bit too much because there just, is quite a bit of tension on. Just on this, do you work to a program? What do you do? Yeah, that's that's part two next oh, week. Okay. Oh, next week. Okay. <laughs> that's next Sorry. week. You got to tell me what was in part two. Yeah. So I would suggest starting by doing about ten to fifteen minutes uh, of these chords, and then doing a maximum of say twenty five minutes. So yesterday I think I did fifteen minutes. I'm doing around two sessions a week at the moment, around about that fifteen minute mark. And I'll talk through that next next week in, in terms of how to break that up. But I'm normally doing sort of. Uh, 50 seconds on, 10 seconds off, roughly. Uh, okay. you know, I have some different sort of intervals. Had a little app that, that basically beeps at the 50-second mark, beats at the minute, and then so you have 10 seconds rest between each exercise. Okay. And I think where a lot of people do fall into the trap, they just do the same thing. They just do freestyle arms below the water, um, but there is quite a bit of variety to give yourself a bit of an all-round workout. So the key technique tips you need to be aware of is try to mimic being in the pool um, with your pool patterns. So you're kind of doing that little bit like a keyhole rather than just just pulling your hand uh, straight back. Um, position them, as I said earlier, uh, at the, a good height for you, so uh, ideally above sort of head level. Pivot at the waist uh, and then really focus on the catch. Now, what I mean there is you need to, once your arm's out the front, you need to just pivot your elbow out ever so slightly to the side and when you can do that then you kind of try to reach around a barrel so your hand and forearm goes down while your elbow stays up nice and high so a lot of coaches you'll hear them say you know putting your arm around a barrel so it's like you're trying to reach around a barrel and sort of pick something up on the other side um Controlling the return movement, so you've got this sort of concentric and eccentric loading going on. It's really easy to bounce, and so you do your pull, and then you just let your hand just relay straight back. And uh, what you want to be doing is try to have some load on the return as well, so you're getting loading in both directions. Um, be prepared to let your hips and knees pivot a little bit, uh, and so your body rolls like it does in the pool. And what I would say 
there's two sorts of cords you can get, one with paddles and one with just little um, handles on them. If you get the handles, what's really important is you try to do all these exercises with a flat hand because that's the way that you swim rather than gripping them like a paddle and pulling. Uh, some of the common no-nos that I see is not warming up, so I generally recommend a couple of minutes of arm circles and um, just warming your shoulders up before you start. Yeah. And then the next one is just pulling down on the cords like you're trying to do a strength exercise, so it's like like almost like doing a chin-up whereas uh, you really want to be trying to mimic the, the swimming stroke. Um, also really struggle, uh, shrugging your shoulders really high is what a lot of people do and they're not sort of pivoting enough at the waist. They just kind of have the cords out in front and they're just pulling them back and forward and it's not really mimicking that swim stroke. It's more of a strength exercise than a uh, mimicking your swimming. Uh, and bouncing I just mentioned and then having um, too much resistance on from the get go so how to use them uh, it's pretty boring it's just swinging your arms back and forth next so you week you to go to a rhythm do you put music on and have like a metronome or no I don't I just kind of probably m- mimic what I do in the pool in terms of okay. a, a stroke rate um, but I do as I'll go into next week you know you can have do some some sets so you might do like six by one minute where you do one minute steady one minute moderate one minute hard uh, and so you are breaking it up but that's the key it's a bit like getting on a trainer um, on the bike and if you just ride for an hour at the same intensity without say a Zwift or trainer road or something in front of you boring as batshit same thing would be applied to the swimming if you just get in there and you're just going to pull your arms back and forward for 15 minutes break it up into sets and you'll get a lot more benefit Uh, there's various different places you can get them i get them from a company called nzcords.com um, what are you paying uh, i think they're about 50 bucks something in that region when you're doing it and you're in between you stand up yes okay yeah yep. um there are d- different brands out there as well i think finnis do them and I'm, I'm sure there's a few others so i've got a little clip that i quickly made as well that i'll i'll share next week and some ideas on on how to do it but i've noticed uh, i've only really been getting back into my swim cords in the last little period and i'm only swimming once a week almost forgot about john's weekly swim <laughs> don't worry i'll write it down now <laughs> oh, people are worried i tell you um but i've noticed it's given me a really significant difference in, in my swimming performance over the last few weeks just by because i'm only swimming once a week supplementing with a couple of swim cord sessions has made a really big difference and it's super time efficient you know 15 minutes can give you a, a really good workout yeah and, and let's be honest most athletes don't do much strength work so it's a different way of getting i know it's not quite like doing weights work but mm. it's been doing nothing uh look out next week team we're going to get some workouts we are i've got to write my swim session up now so i don't forget okay let's put the interview on we're going to interview with andy blow from precision nutrition sorry Precision hydration. Yep. Uh, and he's going to be talking about cramping and all the important things about hydration. Here is Andy right now. Right, guys. Um, today we have the founder of Precision Hydration, uh, sports scientist Andy Blow. He's a former athlete himself. I back in the day when I was in the UK in the in the sort of the early two thousands. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing his name popping up in results uh, left, right, and centre. Uh, he's also worked with a bunch of F1, so Formula One teams, Renault and Benetton. And uh, for those of you that don't know, there was a couple of handy triathletes in those teams: Mark Webber and Jensen Button. Both did extremely well at triathlon. Um, and and yeah, so we're going to talk to Andy a bit about salt, sodium, and cramping. So welcome along to the show, Andy. Good, good to be with you guys. I've been. Uh, I remember listening to I Am Talk when I was still competing, which is a long time ago now. Oh, back in the day. Back in the day. And we've just found out yeah. that Andy is from Christchurch. So we're not recording in the studio, but for those in different parts of the world, there's a Christchurch in the UK and there's a Christchurch in New Zealand. So it's our mothership, really. Surely we were named after that place. 
Maybe they were named after us, Bevan. No, I don't think so. England's been around a lot longer than us. <laughs> so, so Andy, give us, give us a bit of your background um, athletically and um, academically as well. Sure, yeah. I am, like you guys, big into triathlon for a long, long time. I was lucky enough to start doing triathlons in the, in the 1990s and that became my sort of sport of choice when I, when I did it seriously. I went to university at, at the University of Bath in the UK which was just at that time in the late 90s starting to become a triathlon centre of excellence. So I got some great coaching there and did a lot of short course racing and then eventually moved up to to Ironman and Xterra type stuff when when I realised I wasn't going to quite sort of cut it internationally in the in the short in the short racing. And um, yeah, it was it was in that mixture of studying sports science and also doing really badly in the first few hot Ironman races I did that I got super interested in hydration you know because it was it was it proved to be my Achilles heel as an athlete Mm -hmm. so what were the issues you were you were facing I was basically I would go into long distance races especially and especially if it was hot with pretty high hopes I was I was racing at a reasonably good level I was sort of like a lower tier international athlete in the UK and so I stepped up to Ironman and thought I was going to you know I was kind of um, looking for top tens, that kind of thing was was where I thought I would be be coming out, and I was just I was just dying, and it was a combination. The big the, one of the big things, and I know we've we traded some emails about it in the build up to this, but one of the big things was cramping for me. I always tended to get hor- horrible cramps, sometimes on the bike, but almost every time on the run, um, and also, but just like like a kind of lethargy and malaise and fatigue that would kick in during long races that was like nothing I'd suffered at any other time. And it would just make my performances fall off a cliff. It's uh, frustrating too, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Massively um, so. Yeah. I mean, I ended up going, I went to Kona one year and obviously there's a big, there's always a big rev up and a big build up when you get your chance to go to Kona. And, and with the heat and humidity there, I just, it was, it was an, I had one of my worst sort of performances and, it was like, yeah, a lot of money, a lot of heartache went into, you know, trying to figure out then what was going wrong. Now, academically and career-wise, you've really gone in this path of, you know, hydration, cramping and stuff like that. Did you actually figure out in your athletic time? Just sort of, yeah. I kind of got on top of it towards the end of my racing, really. And it was that was the big thing for me. It was like, because I learned so late, and had the, but I had the opportunity to put it into practice a few times. I thought this is something which is really valuable to to other athletes and would be useful something to pass on. Because if someone could have took me aside as an 18 year old and taught me what I then learned the hard way over a period of 10 years, I reckon it would have made a substantial difference to how you know how I performed. So at first it was kind of a, a bit of a mission to pass the knowledge on and and in music because I'd started coaching athletes. So I was working as a sports scientist at that time. And so it was just, it was one of many things I was looking into to help people improve performance and gradually got sucked deeper and deeper into it, into the whole thing. But I, I figured out basically for myself because I always knew I had a high sweat rate because that was obvious. I just sweated a lot when I was, when I was training and racing. And then a friend of mine who was a doctor put me on the path because he said, he looked at my kit, which was caked in salt after races. And he said, you know what? I think, and you've got to look at how much electrolyte you're losing, how much sodium you're losing, because your symptoms are consistent with someone who's like massively 
electrolyte depleted and also I can just see it on your skin. So we tried then, he suggested to me some different levels of sodium supplementation. He even back then got me into a hospital to have a, a, a test done on my sweat to test the electrolyte content. And it was all of that that kind of came together and, and radically changed how much I was drinking and, and what I was putting in with my fluids. And yeah, it made a huge difference to me. So um, you guys, uh, Precision Hydration, have got some really good resources in terms of um, you know sharing your knowledge. And one of them I, I sort of having a look at yesterday was why do athletes suffer from cramp? So do you want to maybe just summarize yeah. summarize that? Um, you know, what's actually causing people to cramp? Because it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, it still it still kind of is it. On one level, we know that like so the stats suggest that a lot of athletes cramp at least some of the time. So there's probably like a group of athletes that are very cramp prone who cramp really often. Then there's a massive group of people who cramp infrequently, and then there's a small proportion of people who honestly look at you it's strange if you ask them if they've ever had a cramp because they they've just never experienced it. So it's it's reasonably common. But I mean a cramp the definition is obviously an involuntary muscle contraction. So when your muscles kind of lock up and it's it, but the actual mechanism that causes it is, is ill understood. It's something to do with a, either a misfiring of the nervous system or a, a misfiring in actually the, the contractile properties of the muscle. Um, but in terms of pinning down exactly what's causing it, it's been, it's proven very hard to do. And people have studied it from different angles over the years Going back a long, long time ago, it was this this first theory about muscle cramping that came out was called the the electrolyte dehydration theory because there's there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that cramping happens more frequently in in athletes and in people that are working in hot climates when when you get hot and humid conditions together. So when people are sweating a lot, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around the fact that if you replenish salt along with water then the prevalence of that cramping is reduced. But in terms of like pinning that down and making it a mechanistic theory, there's been a lot of issues with, with getting that done. And then in more recent years, another theory kind of came in about it being about neuromuscular fatigue and about the fact that actually because there's cramping that occurs when there's probably not electrolyte imbalance happening in the body, it can't all be down to that. So this kind of competing theory came in and we got to this situation a few years ago and it was very clear that there were like two camps, people who were kind of clinging on to the electrolyte dehydration imbalance theory and that was the only theory. And then there was this new competing theory about neuromuscular fatigue. And what we then got to was a bit of an unproductive place, I think, for a while where these two theories were at loggerheads because you've got a load of people saying it's definitely this thing. And other people say it's definitely this other thing. Neither of them have got like particularly strong evidence to support them. And there didn't seem to be a lot of room for, for discussing the fact that actually it could be a bit of both of these things and maybe some other factors as well. So it's, it is inconclusive. But what we do know about cramping is that it's pretty common. It tends to happen statistically more in hot and humid conditions and there does seem to be a proportion of people at least for whom when you correct sodium and fluid intake in relation to sodium and fluid loss you get a massive reduction in cramping and while it isn't necessarily sort of proof it's it's a lot of smoke without fire when you talk about muscular fatigue it's often people racing harder than they, they race harder than they're conditioned for is ultimately what you're saying 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the things, either racing harder or racing on maybe like types of terrain you're not used to. So I, I know that in myself, if I was doing a lot of training on the flat, you know, and you end up racing on a very hilly course, especially running, the running downhill does a lot of muscular damage that can cause or that can make cramping maybe worse. Um, pacing yeah, is a huge one. And obviously races like Ironman and stuff are, are classic cases for it because no one does, or very few people anyway, do an Ironman in training. You always are building up and stretching yourself further on the day. So you're putting yourself a bit more at risk of, of something going wrong. And and the, and the other thing about cramping that's made it really challenging to study is you can't you can't really do it very well in the lab. You've got to you've got to study it in the field because getting people to cramp is like really difficult, reliably yeah. so anyway. Yeah. So and it's a, it's pretty cruel as well. <laughs> Although I, in in you know reading up for this um, for this chat, I did come across a new a relatively new paper that came out I think last year where some researchers had found a pretty a pretty good way of getting people to cramp. What they did was they got a bunch of athletes together who had reported that they were regular crampers. And then they tested them in the lab by putting some electrodes on their calf and their foot and, and stimulating the muscles really hard with an electrical Ooh. impulse. And yeah, it was it did sound pretty brutal. <laughs> and and why and, and what they did was they like wound up the strength of the current until they got a cramp. Oh. And so there was this threshold of electrical impulse that was causing the muscles to go into spasm and cramp. And then what they did was they, they did a blinded study. So they made athletes drink a drink, which was like a flavored drink before they did this experiment. And some of them they gave a very strong electrolyte drink to, and some of them they gave kind of a placebo type drink, which tasted of something that didn't have any electrolytes in it. And interestingly, what they found was that when they wound up the, the, the volt meter on the on the feet, they got cr the threshold for cramping was sort of increased in those that have had an electrolyte drink. So that started to provide an, a little bit of evidence around the fact that maybe there is something to do with you know sodium and fluid balance that that can that can influence cramping in in muscles. So I think we'll pack the um, you know the people needing to condition themselves and train themselves appropriately for for, for racing because otherwise this will be like a fifteen hour podcast. And if we focus yeah. more on the, the sodium side of things, um, so maybe a bit like what you've just done with cramping, maybe explain the role of you know what sodium does at a, at a cellular level and, and why that's important. So sort of a, a one hundred and one level introduction to sodium. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one because I think a lot of athletes aren't necessarily heard of it but don't necessarily know exactly what it does. And sodium is really important in the body. It's an electrolyte, which is which means that it's uh, when it's dissolved in water, it's electrically charged. And we have different electrolytes in the body that provide either positive or negative charges. And the role that sodium plays, well, it plays many roles, but the, the, the ones we're really interested in are, is, as an athlete is it's very influential in fluid balance um, so sodium is the main electrolyte in your extracellular fluid so all the fluid that's outside your body cells which includes your blood and the more sodium you've got on board generally the, the bigger your blood volume so sodium and blood volume go hand in hand to a certain extent um, the other thing that sodium does is working with potassium which is the main intracellular electrolyte sodium moves in and out of cells and that causes an, uh, in the opposite way to potassium moving and it that change of the electrical gradient causes nerve impulses and it helps it's in, it's very important in muscular contraction so that's part of why there's this big feeling that that sodium 
or an imbalance of sodium might have something to do with this with cramping because it's it's very sort of heavily involved in the process of causing nerves to fire and causing muscles to contract and relax so sodium and and the reason we we we've got because in the body we've got you know sodium potassium calcium magnesium um, chloride all sorts of electrolytes but the reason we talk so much about sodium when we're athletes is because it's the main one that we lose in sweat because potassium's intracellular and sodium's extracellular we lose sweat from extracellular fluid so hence the, the predominant electrolyte we lose in sweat is sodium so that's the kind of key one to think about replacing when you're doing a lot of sweating um, one of the things I popped over to you and, and why this area is, is of quite a bit of interest for me is, yeah, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, I did a little um, literature review on cramping and, and the relationship with sodium intake. And most of the studies yep. that I found seemed to say there wasn't really any relationship that looked at like, some Ironman races, some ultra distance races, and the evidence they found um, was that it didn't seem to be much of a relationship between sodium intake and cramping, which kind of goes in the face of a lot of anecdotal evidence we've got and um, yep. and what the marketing we hear. So, I mean, have you got quite a few studies as well where it, it just it's like low-carb, high-fat and, and all this. There's, there's a really strong argument exactly. on one side and, the, and then on the other side you're going, well, what the hell, um, what do I make of this? So is there quite a bit of evidence on the other side as well? Yeah, there is. There's there's not there's that paper that I mentioned to you just just a few moments ago where they looked at the the threshold frequency for for cramping. If you go back into early medicine in the 30s and 40s, there's quite a bit of evidence there where they gave people working in hot climates, so like people who were stoking boilers, people who were working in mines and those kind of things who were often collapsing with heat injuries and cramps and things like that. And they they supplemented sodium with with fluids or salt in those days just straight salt with with drinks for these guys and felt that it made a huge difference there's a there's a phenomenal study that that um a researcher did a doctor did on himself in the 1930s where a group of three or four of them locked themselves in a house and deprived themselves of sodium completely by triple boiling their food and filtering their water and <laughs> having hot baths to sweat out loads of salt and it's it's like a it's a totally fascinating read if you're sort of geek you know like i am into that area of the physiology and what they did to themselves was incredible they basically totally depleted their bodies of, of salt and one of the things that they saw was that the guy was even getting cramps in his hand when he was trying to write in his notebook <laughs> and every time he coughed his intercostal muscles would cramp wow. and those kind of things and then what they did on like day seven when they'd done this massive deplete is they ate loads of bacon and and got loads of salt back in their bodies and took some measurements and within hours were feeling fantastic again and totally normal and all the problems they were having and cramps and things went away. So there's all this, there is this kind of evidence. And then where, because I had a quick flip through, because I've read a lot of the papers that you, you listed when you sent them over to me. And what's really interesting is a lot of that stuff. So it came out of um, South Africa in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Some of it was done by... Tim Noakes and some of his colleagues and um, a guy called Martin um, Schwellness. And you mentioned, it was really good that you mentioned like the high fat, low carb or, or debate thing, mm. because I think this cramping and sodium one has a lot of echoes of that. And it's funny because Tim Noakes has been quite influential in both of those yeah. debates. But 
there's these kind of extreme views. The and Tim Noakes has loved to attack extreme views. Like he's always been making a paradigm shift in something in his career. You know, it's always been attacking the status quo or perceived wisdom and sort of proving it wrong, which is which is really admirable and it's and it's something that needs doing every now and again in in different fields because otherwise we get bogged down in dogma and old mm. information. But what he also tends to do is go with a really like equally extreme view the other way. And I suppose anyone who's, who's done any reading in the low-carb, um, high-fat debate in the last few years knows that he's been a very vocal advocate on the high-fat, low-carb side mm. in the face of both conventional wisdom and, unfortunately, a lot of you know basic evidence as well. Mm. And I think there's echoes of that previously in, in a lot of the salt and sodium stuff because Noakes is very, very anti-Gatorade and very anti the sports drink industry and very big, very quick to sort of dispel a lot of the the marketing noise with that which in one sense is probably it needed doing because there was a lot of hyperbole coming out of that but we've got to the point where the kind of baby's been thrown out with the bathwater because there's just no there's no concession to the middle ground like mm. like you've you've said a few times the anecdotal evidence and some of the lab-based evidence as well around the fact that sodium replenishment for people who are getting cramps is really really effective not universally effective but often it's very effective whereas a lot of these arguments in these papers have almost been kind of set up to to demonstrate that's not the case because what i mean for instance what a lot of them have done is they've measured blood sodium levels which we know that when you're exercising blood sodium levels in terms of millimoles per liter tend to if in most cases, we tend to either stay the same or rise a little bit because we lose more fluid than salt in our sweat, so blood gets more concentrated. But what that disguises is that's only one measurement, and it's and it disguises the net sodium loss from the body because we all know if we've been exercising for four, five, six, or eight, or ten, or even twelve, you know, fourteen hours in an Ironman, we've sweated out a lot of fluid, we've sweated out a lot of salt. Now our blood's plasma sodium level our serum sodium level might be maintained because the body's good at that but the net loss of sodium from the body could be huge it could be 10 grams Mm. and and that has the potential to influence you know um, the the amount of sodium that's available at a cellular level and that could be having an impact on you know nerve impulses on muscle contraction and that kind of thing what i what i've also been reading up about lately as well is looking into um the reports of cramping in kidney kidney dialysis patients because whenever you dive into that literature there's a lot of reports of cramping because it's such a huge side effect of people who are having kidney dialysis which is basically when you obviously when your kidneys are diseased or not working you go into hospital every now and then and have a load of blood drained off and filtered and put back and as part of that process when people have loads of fluid they lose loads of extra fluid quite quickly and some sodium, then they often suffer cramps in bed. Mm. And that, though that's not exactly the same, the, the idea of losing a load of extracellular fluid and a load of sodium really quickly is exactly what happens in a hot Ironman. And, and so all of these things kind of, I don't know, they point in a direction. And, and I guess to close on that bit, for me, it's like it's, it, it seems a bit disingenuous to kind of try and, Put a, put a stake in the ground and say, we know it's definitely not this, and it's now definitely this. So so when it comes to application, 
You know, because we got, the, as you identified earlier, we have kind of the person who never gets cramped, the person who occasionally gets it, and then the, the yeah. you know, the traditional cramper. What What are you guys recommending nowadays for the different types of people? I would I would say if you're someone who's a fairly persistent cramper, then we usually start by looking at what the level of sodium and fluid intake is, you know, before and during exercise, and and often end up increasing if not both, then the ratio of sodium to fluid at least. Because when I was starting out racing on, in Ironman, I was probably taking, you know, in an, in an Ironman, I was probably taking two or 300 milligrams of sodium an hour when I, work, when I look back and work it out from the nutritional intake that I had. Where I ended up as someone who loses a lot of sweat and a lot of salt was that I was actually taking between 1,000 and 1,500 milligrams wow. of sodium per hour during an Ironman, which is, you know, and to be clear, if anyone's listening thinking, you know, oh, I'll try that. Well, that's a lot, you know, that's like on the higher end, but it's not, it's not out of this world because I've worked with enough athletes now to know that there are a good cohort of us who need to take that level of supplementation. And I think really, you know, if you're, if you are someone who sweats quite a bit, you're racing in the heat, then looking at somewhere like eight, 900,000 milligrams of sodium per hour and trying that kind of level, is is probably not a bad place to start experimenting around you know to to try and see if it has an effect the good thing about that as a strategy is it's low cost and it's very like easy to tell if it's working or not so you know in, increasing the ratio of sodium to fluid that you're taking is a really good place to start one thing that um, we see a lot of athletes do pre-race is they're just walking around with a drink bottle the whole time, uh, and that's often just got water in it, um, and so they're sort of over-hydrating going into the race. So let's say either it's water or it could be, be sports drink. What's your sort of strategy with regards to maybe pre-loading, not just you know, um, a couple of hours before the race, um, but sort of thinking that 24-hour period leading into the event? Yeah, you, you're 100% right with that one as well. I mean, that's something I used to be very guilty of as an athlete was like nervously drinking the two, three days before an event, just sipping away and, and trying to almost believe you're a camel, you know, and you can just absorb all this water <laughs> and hang on to it and store it up for the day. And unfortunately, it doesn't work like that because like you say, you end up peeing a lot, you end up weighing out a lot, of, a lot of salt as well as water. So what I tend to say to athletes now is that in the days leading up to an event, don't change your habits too much, you know, just drink fairly normally maybe a glass or two of water extra here and there especially if you're traveling or you're on your feet a bit at the expos and things a bit of extra salt on your food just to top up any any losses there and make sure you're fully stocked with with sodium and electrolytes but then the the most important thing to do is probably uh, with the with your breakfast before the start is sort of a very strong electrolyte drink about ideally about 90 minutes or so before the start and not a huge volume of it just you know somewhere between sort of 300 and 600 milliliters about 1500 maybe maybe 2000 milligrams per liter of sodium and and then that what that does is that you know the extra electrolytes pull pull into your bloodstream pull the fluid with it and you end up starting with a bit of a expanded plasma volume and that's that's about as good as you can do. It's not like carbo loading before an event where you can start two or three days out, start stocking up your liver and your muscles. Fluid loading kind of just results in more trips to the bathroom, not not actually any better hydration. 
Um, I watched the video that John sent through me yesterday, and it's a video you could put up on YouTube, and it's kind of a shorter version of what we're talking about today. And you identify that the you know the conditioning, uh, the sodium, but you also talked a little about stress release or, or or you know the state, the mental state you're in. Do you want to kind of share why that's important for cramping? Yeah, that that's something which I've got more interested in the last few years because I've had a few cases of athletes coming to us who get cramping very early on in races and. Well, at first, you know they're the they're the classic ones that are often difficult to to solve because if you're cramping early on in a race, it's unlikely to be fatigue unless you're really horribly under conditioned, and it's very unlikely to be electrolyte or fluid deficit because you haven't been going for long enough. I mean, I've, we had a, a guy who was persistently getting cramps in the swim in Ironman, and he never seemed to usually get them in training or in, even in smaller races, and the only thing we could kind of start to zero it in on was just like the extreme level of anxiety and motivation and stress that was going through him before the start and and then it it seemed and again these things are anecdotes they're not scientific studies but it seemed that getting on top of that the nerves and the stress because we all know that as we get nervous we sort of tense up you know if you're nervous if you're learning to drive a car and you're nervous you you get white knuckles on the steering wheel because you're gripping so hard Mm. I mean, I was out. I, I got into to surf ski kayaking a, a few years ago and started paddling in some fairly, some fairly interesting conditions out at sea. You know, big winds and swells and things like that. And I remember coming in off one session where I was really scared and I could hardly let go of the paddle in my right hand because I gripped it so hard because I'd put my muscles under that much stress. You know, like I was going to crush the flipping handle and that. So I think subconsciously, if you're an athlete that gets cramps and you're also someone who knows that you get quite wound up and quite tense then mental relaxation and actually learning to recognize that and learning to be you know sort of reduce the activation level in your muscles consciously it sounds a little bit almost a little bit new age or something but but actually i think it it has a a benefit because if you're over tense and over stressed then even if that doesn't actually cause you to cramp in and of itself maybe it can maybe that extra tension in your muscles can make cramping more likely once you start exercising. Nice. Now, we've talked a lot about sweating, but I had a couple of um, just sort of shorter questions with regards to that because I've just obviously at the moment with different lockdowns all over the world, huge number of people are doing you know crazy hours on the indoor trainers, um, smart trainers, Zwifting and, and what have you, and you're obviously sweating a, a huge amount in that often in the morning and then you might have another evening session yeah. of some description. Um, so when you are sweating at such high rates and you have got another session later in the day, maybe some tips, I know that you referenced maybe an Ask a You Can Throw Up um, article in terms of tips on how to quickly try to rehydrate after sessions where you have sweated fairly heavily. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one because I've, I've been doing a bit of that here at home. I've been sat on my, my watt bike in the in the shed in the garden you're sweating away and then if you go for a run later on it can be it can be pretty debilitating and i mean a lot of the evidence there and askers produced some great papers on this is that if you put quite a bit of extra sodium in your recovery drinks after a, a tough session when you've sweated a lot the percentage of that fluid that you retain is much much higher so you get back up to full hydration much faster most of us if we're only training once a day most of us manage to rehydrate pretty effectively by by just eating and drinking normally after a session but if you've got that second session in the day or that session has been particularly sweaty then some strong electrolytes and to put that in context like a normal sports drink is probably about 
four or 500 milligrams of sodium in every liter, I'd say a strong one is at least a thousand, maybe 1500 milligrams per liter. Then what tends to happen is you drink that, you absorb it better and faster and you hold on to it better. So you pee less of it out and you, you overall, you restore your fluid balance a lot more easily. Nice. Now, just um, a little bit on sweat testing, because if, if you're in the UK, you guys offer a, a service um, to get yourself a sweat test done. Um, but for those that, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about that. And if you're obviously not in the UK, um, how you can actually figure out uh, how much you are sweating. Yeah, for sure. The, the sweat test, so there's two different types of sweat tests, really. One is one you can do yourself at home, which is super easy. And we've got a little blog on that, which we can send you a link to um, mm. to put in your um, in the show notes. But it explains how, to people how you weigh yourself before and after a training session. There's a nice, neat little spreadsheet you can bang your numbers into, and it'll help you work out your sweat rate. Because the, the amount of weight that you lose corrected for anything that you've drunk over a period of training is basically how much sweat you've lost. So working out your sweat rate is is really useful and, and really easy to do. Working out your sweat concentration is another thing. And we have a piece of technology that does that. So we we just take a sweat sample from you. We stick some electrodes on your arm. We, um, we stimulate the sweat glands and take a little bit of sweat away, stick it through an analyzer. And that tells us how much sodium you're losing. And the interesting thing about that one is that that's the test that I did in hospital many years ago. And it told me that I'm losing just just probably short of 2,000 milligrams of sodium in every litre of sweat, whereas we sometimes measure people who are low as two or 300 milligrams per litre. Mm. And, and all the evidence appears to be that that number is really genetic, and that's the one that often you know, makes a big difference because if you're a 200 milligram per litre guy, then you are that guy who can probably do the Ironman you know, just largely drinking water or whatever. You know, you're not, you, you might need a little bit of sodium through you few gels or whatever but you're not going to be losing a ton you're up at 2000 like me and you're sweating nearly two liters an hour it's a whole different ball game mm. so getting that sweat sodium concentration test is really useful so we we've got a, a bunch of places in the uk and if anyone's interested to find out where they are they can go to precisionhydration.com and, and just look that up or, or get in touch with us um, we actually do have um some we have a lot of testing sites now in the us we've probably got about 30 places in the us you can go to we've got a couple in australia as well oh, we've got one on the gold coast one in sydney and actually one in perth very soon and then we've now also got two in two slash three coming up soon in new zealand yeah, so very nice we can maybe even get you guys tested at some point yeah mm. probably in auckland we can't go to auckland at the moment yeah, <laughs> yeah they're locked down aren't they yeah, yeah i heard we've, we have we've got one in auckland and then the other the other guy who's who's setting up to do testing very soon as well you guys will probably know i'm sure is dougal allen oh, oh yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nice yeah so dougal's based down on the south island isn't he yeah, he's yeah. um so dougal Dougal got tested a, a while ago and has um, got really, you know, really credited using some of the stronger products for his own racing as being super beneficial. So we reached out and had a chat, and he's he's yeah, interested in offering the testing in New Zealand. So we're setting that up at, at, right at the moment, actually. Very good. So tell us. Um, obviously, we've heard a bit about precision hydration, but um, yeah, obviously you got sweat testing, and then you've got supplements. Your, your, your supplements. So maybe just give us a quick um, quick spiel on on what you guys do. Sure. Well, when, when we started out with the idea of precision hydration, we weren't really all that interested in getting into the sports drink market because it's a, you know, it's a big place. There's a lot of people 
doing that kind of thing. And we, we thought what we'll do is we want to get into the testing to help athletes understand what they're losing. And then I'm sure we can find drinks to recommend to people because that seemed to be a sensible way to go. But it, it became pretty clear with the testing quite quickly that because of the range of sodium different people were losing, the market doesn't really cater for that. The market kind of has like a one strength model. Most Most sports drinks are around sort of four or 500 milligrams. There are a few that are creeping up to 700 now, but you know, like Gatorade endurance and stuff, but most of them are quite low strength. So in the end, we just, we decided the, the only way to do this was to simplify it and make, you know, three or four different strengths of drink. So we have, we, we have um, three for exercise, which is 500 milligrams a liter, 1000 milligrams a liter or 1500 milligrams a liter. So we can kind of cover that range. And when, when people are trying to understand why that is, we just basically say it's like, you know, having different size T-shirts. The market at the moment just gives everyone a small, mm. which is fine if you need small. But we just do like a you know small, medium, large, and, and just trying to get the right one to fit you. So I always try to say to people as well is we our products are not sold on like a lot of sports nutrition. There's quite a lot of bad marketing goes on and quite a lot of spurious claims. Or and we try to avoid a lot of that and just say, look, this is just simple stuff. This is like your body when you're exercising, you need fluid need calories and, and if you're exercising and for long enough or sweating enough you need salts and you need them at different quantities and we just got you know very simple products that come in those different strengths but when you get those when you get that recipe right for you especially doing a long hot race you really notice the difference it's the magic is in the mixture not in any sort of weird compounds or you know anything like that that's in them it's it's electrolytes you know carbs and water nice so guys if you want to find out more go um there's lots of content that i've got on their website there's also uh, a course you can do in training peaks which kind of yeah. um expands out a lot of the stuff we've, we've discussed today so if that's an area of interest especially if you're somebody who has suffered from cramps i'm, I'm not somebody who has did. Had, you, you did yeah. I, i've had a couple of cramps and Ironman had one in a swim, which again, maybe that was nerve-related nerve because I wasn't certainly wasn't depleted at that stage. Um, but yeah, go check it out. So awesome. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing more products coming New Zealand's way with Dougal. Exactly, yeah. And if you guys want to get tested, we would love to set that up. I'm sure Dougal wouldn't mind. So we'll, we'll see if we make that happen. Brilliant. Awesome, mate. You rock. Okay, join your thoughts. It's really good. And I like it when you get a balanced argument and you're not really pragmatic about being hard and fast on one side of the fence. Um, so I thought Andy gave us a really good balanced view there. Uh, if you guys want to get any of the product, um, check, use the promo code IMTALK, all caps. All caps. So it's all going to be all caps, John. All caps. Get your 15% off your first um, purchase. So check it out. Um, but really good stuff and a, and a nice balanced oh, view. If, if you're that cramper, it's such a limiter mm. and it's so frustrating because mm -hmm. it often hits you in that last part of the race and you're feeling, I'm doing all right here. And then just, it's you're just like someone's got a gun and shot you in the calves. Well, it's, it's for those people that have experienced it early in the race or midway through the bike ride, you know, um, when you're getting late in the race, yeah, it still really sucks. But when you get it yeah. mid bike ride, it's like, holy crap. I would get a lot in my swim like you did. Mm. I used to get a lot in the swim. Mm. Not quite sure why. And maybe it was because you don't turn. Well, the, 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 one of the issues a lot of people have in the swim is calf cramping. Yeah. Um, and the reason that was me. Yeah. yeah that, a big reason why that happens is um, you're swimming in the pool. You're not doing open water swimming, and your foot's in that prone position the whole time. Yeah. And it's not going forward and back. So, big tip there is when you're open water swimming, as you're going through a race, part of your race plan, have like 
every 500 meters or every time you go around a turn is flex your feet forward and back several yeah. times yeah. and that'll take that tension off there it could be a nutrition related one um, but more likely than not it's a you know you're just not used it's to it's a conditioning foot. thing isn't it really yeah because you're just not used to holding that position for such a long time calf cramps are brutal though oh yeah uh, one of the best things we ever had was uh, when we did the epic camp length of New Zealand and if anybody's watched our um, video clip going long going hard <laughs> that's what he tells Bullinder every night is uh, on the first day of that camp we did this brutal run it was from Cape Reinga which is the f- northernmost part of the New Zealand um, we ran 20 kilometres uh, and it was hot dusty and I think we did 10 kilometers cruising and then we had a 10 kilometer race Okay, and then we finished the bike ride and then we followed that directly up with a time trial uh, which was I can't remember exactly it might have been like 30 k's of, of a sort of 60 to 80 k ride or something in that region may have even been more and then we went down for a swim that afternoon at this local oh. pool in Kaitaia and there was serious crank fests <laughs> it was Entertaining. Day one. Day one. Fourteen days well, to go. Welcome to Epic. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so again, it's precision nutrition. I'll put links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. I am talk. Remember the discount code. All caps. I am talk for fifteen percent off your first order. John, let's go into winger of the week. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to go high numbers. I'm going to say seventy-three. Seventy-three. Any particular reason? No, it just popped up in my head. I want to go high number. We always go low. Yeah. I thought, let's go high. So last week, 73. Let's have a look. Okay. 73, 73, 73. You've got to go a long way down to get 73, John. Yeah. Jake M. Okay. I'm, I'm just getting there now as well. Jake McCall. Yeah. Uh, Jake McCall. Let's have a look. I've got to log in to find out more. You said 73, more. did you? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at this week. Silly me. Silly me. Current month, he's done 485 miles. His moving time's been 40 hours. He's done the B2B Haynes Street Hill Challenge. He's... I did nine minutes more training than you last week, Jake. Pull up your socks. Pull up your socks, Jake. From Portland, Oregon. Nice work. Got a fancy bike there with a nice big deep-rimmed rear wheel. What are you looking at? John's, John's gone in for a deep hey, He almost looked like he had a uh, I Am Talk bike jersey on there. Oh, oh. Uh, nice work. <laughs> I was, I'm just looking at the biggest climb. Holy crap! Where did you do a climb that got three thousand three hundred eight meters? That's impressive. That I've is, got to check got some, that out. He's got some beautiful shots from where he's been riding. He's been cranking it since June. It's got Ah, oh, you legend. He uh, so that is a ginormous climb. That's doing the Manakia climb. Um, with the trainer road team by the look of it. So this, he started down in Waikoloa. Um, so down, this is a just Waikoloa for those that don't know, is when you go on the Queen K in Hawaii, it's about halfway, probably a bit more than halfway down the Queen K. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of resorts there. You climb up through this area called the Waikoloa Village. That's a nice gentle climb. You come up to the sort of the, what's called the high road and then you keep on going and you go up to the Mauna Kea, uh, which is a volcano. That is a ginormous ride. I don't know. He didn't bike down. I think it's, it's it? a, no, it's a suicide mission, I think, to bike down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, took him six hours and 19 minutes and that's legit that's one of the highest climbs you can do anywhere in the world 4,113 metres of climbing six hours of just going up 85 kilometres for six hours 45, 47 minutes impressive I am going to do that one day just got to make it happen 
to put that in respect, I've done a lot of big climbs yep. in the Alps and things like that. Highest I've done is sixteen hundred and twenty-three, according to this. Uh, so, so he's got two thousand higher. Yeah. Wow. Air gets pretty thin up there, I believe, and it's pretty fresh when yeah, you. But go there. It's six hours of just going up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. The first, how are you feeling the next day? The first uh, section of the climbing when you're on the That's lo- you do everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> go, no, no, you get a bit chilly on the descent. So that's impressive. Nice work. Yeah, how long would the descent be? Well, I think you get so cold and it's, the descent's pretty dodgy, so you don't really do it. But, but if you did? Um, well, how far is it? 85 kilometres. Um, You'd probably do about an hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, something like that. The first part would be pretty sketchy. The second part would be pretty fast, but the first part would be pretty sketchy. Okay, questions and answers. Oh, by the way, uh, what was his name? It was... Uh, you are a winger of the week. <laughs> Jake, Jake McCall. You are a winger of the week. week. Okay, questions and answers. Uh, Pim sent through something, John. Oh, this was gold, wasn't it? It was, it was a few years old, um, but this was... The juggling triathlete. Yeah. This guy, uh, it was in Florida. He did a triathlon. So he swims doing kind of backstroke, but not really, just kind of doggy pedal upside Kick, down. Kicking on his back. Juggling with the balls while swimming. Unbelievable. Then he runs... No, then he bikes. Juggling, juggling. Took a couple of balls. And then he runs. Yeah. And he's Look caught, at that swimming. That is absolute gold. It was way back in, in 2012. But he's in the end, the swim, he's juggling three balls, just kicking on his back. Uh, on the bike, he was juggling uh, a couple of balls, I think it was. Yep, just two balls in one hand. So he did have one hand on his handlebar, being nice and safe. And then on the run, he was juggling three balls. Okay, the distance was a quarter mile swim. It took him 21 minutes. The bike was a 16 miles, took him an hour, basically an hour 42 seconds, uh, and then a four mile run, 31 minutes. I don't think he got last. He got, he got 147th out of, two, out of 246. Yeah. That's the ultimate insult for everyone he beat. Yeah. He did, uh, he did zero oh. drops for the bike and the run, so he didn't drop a ball once. Uh, three drops in the water in the swim. Uh, approximate number of throws and catches during the swim 4,140 on the bike 8,640 and then on the run uh, 6,912 total number of throws and catches in the race 19,692 and he raised over $2,200 for Ronald McDonald House so good work and he just back on the middle of the field yeah oh that is absolute gold if you know what if you got beaten by him that day, that's a bit heartbreaking. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's a bit heartbreaking, but hey, that's a bloody good effort. Okay, we also got a great uh, email here from Jason Hardreth, uh, just saying, have you heard about the picnic and why triathletes should be doing it? I mean, he sent through an article, or a few articles, one from athletebrewing.com and then one from outside online. And it's basically this guy decides he wants to do a triathlon that's a bit crazy. He does. It's more of an adventure race where you, I think the, the picnic, he had the, the Teton Triathlon um, and it was at involved Jenny Lake in the Grand Teton National Park. He swam across the lake, climbed up the Grand Teton and then doing the whole thing in reverse for a total of 42 miles, 2.6 miles of open water swimming and 20 miles of hiking, hiking and, and cycling. It's quite a, f- a good little clip there on the outside uh, outside online um, website and you can just have a look at that and just did a bit you, of, did you bit watch of the adventure video? yes I watched the video it was a few weeks ago though the guy the guy I just watched it this morning so they do a video it's kind of a cool little YouTube video but the guy who uh, <laughs> the guy who just worked at the, at the hotel right he was he, like it didn't look like he was an athlete at all yeah 
good on him. He, he, he stuck at it. But the, he was kind of a real casual guy. Like he talked about being a competitor and he goes, there's nothing worse in life than being a competitor. <laughs> right. And then they show him at work and he's cocked up some hotel booking. <laughs> <laughs> he just comes across as a bit, a bit blasé with life. But it, hey, he but he's going out there and having an adventure. And that was the, the theme of the story is sometimes we just need to chill out and just go on an adventure. That being said, you normally want to have a few little safety precautions in place if you're doing something like this, like swimming across a lake by yourself. Yeah, um, and they're doing it in the middle of the night, a couple of them. Mm. Um, but hey, if you want to watch it while you're out there training, it's a pretty cool thing to watch. Uh, John, your swim set. Swim set this morning. Um, so we, we went to the pool this morning and they were trying to do some social distancing um, in the pool this morning. How did they do that? It didn't work particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> I said four per lane. We had four in our lane, and then uh, the other lane had five. We did, what did we do this morning? We did. A, we warmed up with six hundred, doing hundred meters freestyle, hundred meters IM. Then we did four one hundreds, descend one to four. So that's progressively getting faster um, from one to four. And then the main set was eight by two hundred meters, one steady, uh, which steady pace, sort of Ironman effort-ish, and then one hard. And then we did two hundred easy, and then we did. 8 times 50, doing one fast, and then one 25 fast, 25 easy, and then we warmed down for 200 metres, and that was 3.4 k's. Mm. So if you need a swim for this week, there you go. There you go. Tell you what, I'll be going to, I'm going to be to the pool right after this, John. Young what? To the pool. Are you? Yeah, we're going to do a great swim set, I just heard on the show. Good, good. You're to stay training. So we're, we're, we're coming up, uh, what are we now, August, September, October. Was it a month, do a month training, wasn't it? I think it was six weeks. So well, We're going to Queenstown, we're not going to swim in Queenstown. We swim in the lake, there's two lakes there. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I was speaking to somebody the other day. I don't have a wetsuit. Queenstown is, uh, is one of our southern cities, very, you know, ski fields, it's, it's not an alpine village, but it's a cold place in winter. And the lake, cold place, is freezing. Yeah, and the lake there is freezing year round, like in the summer, you wouldn't hardly, no, you, you wouldn't it's unfortunate there. really, because it'd be nice if you could. Stunning. They were going to have the first ever challenge uh, race in New Zealand there, it's like, no one's swimming in there, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but apparently some who was it was telling me the other day apparently there's a challenge you can do down there to go swim in all the lakes around the Queenstown area and there's a certain amount of time you've got to do it non-wetsuit and you've got to do it in the winter months crazy those there's people that go swimming in winter in these freezing yeah. lakes it's just crazy well, apparently it's good for you though well doing the dash in dash out that's a bit different no, than going for a swim mm. <sighs> that may be the best shower you have in your life Afterwards, yeah, yeah. Tell like me. coming in for that shower, mm. you know, it's like when you have a cold, frosty morning, yeah, you get in the shower afterwards, your feet hurt, yeah. But like that shower there may be the best shower in your life, okay. John, let's talk about the patrons, Natalie, the energy source smith, let's go in, uh, Steve, the freaky son of a gun, Chamberlain Ward, and Lawrence, the phantom house. Uh, if you want to be a sponsor, if you want to, oh, if you want to be sponsored, let us know. We're always looking for sponsors. Uh, you want to get show email to you, you can just email, go to the bottom of the I Am Talk page for patrons also go to imtalk.me and go through the patron process for coaching coachjohnnewsome.com for my podcast we've actually got a really good interview coming up for behaviour specialist <laughs> next week uh, bevanjamesowles.com other cool content such as age group of the week cool websites other feedback please email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com and remember yeah that's about it John your goss my wife probably says I need to go to your behaviour specialist. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that is it. And uh, and get some behaviour advice. What's what would your wife say is the most frustrating thing about you? Um, just, 
generally disagreeing with some some points, saying no, 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 yes, and she she thinks she's always right, but we know that's not necessarily the case. I think we're seeing the problem here. <laughs> um, so there we go. Maybe I'll just go to your behavioural specialist yeah, and yeah. Uh, book in for a complimentary consultation. What's been happening, Bevan? Um, Kids, the update on the latest kids cross country that got cancelled last week oh. it's postponed for a couple of weeks uh, I've got to ra- organise a race this weekend so for those people around the world part of New Zealand has gone back into sort of a, a lockdown our main city well, Auckland all of New Zealand have stepped back mm. but Auckland a lot more so I've got to have a, a organise a race and the restrictions are you can only have a hundred groups of 100 people so I've got a few challenges around that coming up but at the same time still extremely grateful that we can race and we've got things going on which is which is awesome Outside of that, Bevan, uh, cranked out a bit of biking at the weekend. I'm, 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 I'm getting back into a bit of outside riding for a change. Second week in a row. Are you out. enjoying it? Yeah, it's great. The, the cold, you get used to the cold pretty quick. I've, it was negative. What day? Uh, Sunday. Was that cold on Sunday? Negative three when I was no, riding. No, it was cold. I went for a run <laughs> in the afternoon. I thought I'd go for running in the afternoon yeah, in the morning. Be- but Saturday it was beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty fresh out there. So uh, did I think I did 170 k's over the weekend, so that was all good. Uh, outside of that, Bevan, just getting ready for, for racing season and, and camp coming up. When's camp? It is end of October. Oh, camp time. Mm. Shenanigans on camp. Let's hope not. What happened at your school camp when you were a kid? What's the biggest memory you had from your school camp? We went to an island called Quail Island. <laughs> really? Yeah. So uh, Quail Island was on... You swim across a, to it. We, and we did on our IM yeah. Talk uh, camp a few years ago. Uh, we went across there and one night it rained and we all got gone from it. Back in those days, you go on camp and you're in tents. These days the kids go to camp and they stay at all these Huts. nice places. Yep. Uh, back then we were in tents and the weather was so bad we had to go inside and sleep inside this uh, hall and there was a little bit of rolling around at night. That's <laughs> what I remember about that camp. Bevan, what about you? My camp, I was gutted John because I was a bit of a ladies man as a kid mm-hmm. and I and there was a girl on camp who I'd I didn't care about any of the activities I cared about maybe mm-hmm. trying to see if I could get a patch with this girl day one I did my neck in mm. so I basically spent the whole camp just lying down like this yeah <laughs> and then I think someone else patched a girl missed out oh John I was absolutely heartbroken heartbroken I will say mm-hmm. uh, that's about my only mem- oh no no, no, no. I seem to have a pooing problem. So on, on one of the days, I need to go for a poo. Mm. And one of the teachers said, don't worry, it's not much further. We were doing a trek. I was miles away from anywhere. Mm. So in the end, I was like, i got to go. Mm. And I did manage to, I basically had to just run into a bush. Yeah. Drop, drop and These go. These days, we go, we're athletes. It's no problem. No, nowadays. But John, <laughs> it wasn't, the cleanup wasn't that clean. Let's put it that way. Oh. And we still had a long way to go. And and I knew I smelt, so I, st- I st- like basically I was right at the back, pretty feeling pretty sorry for myself, smelling of shit, squelchy pants aisles, walking over like I was a saddler. Yeah, yeah, it was not a highlight of my life. No. That camp was a disaster. That camp was a disaster. What about what about this weekend? This weekend, organising the race on Sunday, and that's probably going to just all the health and safety stuff to get up up to speed for that is going to. Take up a bit of time this week. Yeah, you hopefully for one in a couple of weeks. And we? the weather forecast got the curse. Sent out the email to all the database saying, "Yep, we're all go for next weekend." And uh, said the weather, the long range weather forcast, ten days great. out was looking great. Now it's looking shit. <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens with that. 
Oh, John. Hopefully, we get some good weather. Never trust long range. Just talk long range now. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Mm. Never trust it, John. Never trust it. Okay, let's just. Wrap it up. Uh, you've oh. already mentioned the cycling. Really enjoying seeing some cycling back in action. And the, for those that don't watch cycling, there's been a couple of horrific crashes in the last. Oh my week. god! The guy fell off the bridge. Yeah, went over the bridge, and that was the race that George Bennett got second in. Yeah, and then there was the other one. Obviously, the finish line one the other day as well. Uh, so it's all action. Tour de France starting a couple of weeks. I've joined, I've joined a virtual, that's what I did, I joined, uh, we've got a virtual fantasy picks with Thomas and, and my father-in-law, so looking forward to that. Where do you do that? What, what site do you go to? Just the, the Tour, Tour de France, France. site, oh. they've got a, their own gaming league there, so I haven't played this before, so I'm looking forward to it. Mm, good game. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Andrew. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha.